Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Hangover 3 heads south of the border. We've got some guest hosts in Hong Kong Dave and Marco Spomberg who stop by. And we look at the films The Cases, First Time, Snow White and the Huntsman, and Prometheus. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, June 12th, 2012. We've been off for about a week uh, because I was infirmed last week. But as usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hola, everyone. Hello, Paul. How you doing, sir? Uh, pretty good. How about yourself? Sir? Not not bad. How are you, how are you feeling this week? Feeling better. Last week I had the migraine from hell, which I get on occasion, and uh, pretty much just unable to think clearly or do anything when that happens. But uh, feeling a lot better this week. Ready to go. We've got a really big show. We've got two special guests uh, joining us. Uh, we have filmmaker and director and uh, all around nice guy Marco Spomberg, who's uh, joining us also here in Hong Kong. Sir, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine. How are you? Pretty good. You're going to be talking with us about your latest project. Um, if you'll remember, Marco did a, a, a film project. Um, was it last year that that was released, or was it two years ago? Last year. Yeah. Last year, All yeah. The time was last year. Um, in, um, and he's got a new project that he's going to be uh, talking about and telling us uh, uh, some things about. It's a little bit related to some of the stuff we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the show with one of our films. Uh, but we'll save that uh, for a little bit later in the end. We also have another guest. This is unusual. This is the first time I think we've had uh, two guests. Well, no, I, I guess we've had one other occasion we've had two guests on the show. Um, but this is a rare event for us. We've got Hong Kong Dave all the way from the UK. Sir, how are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Doing good. And so what are you doing here in Hong Kong, Hong Kong Dave? The uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, usual, um, uh, going to shows, going to gigs, uh, watching movies. Eating, eating lots of food and buying lots of Blu-rays. Excellent. And so um, some of you might recognize that voice as uh, one of the podcasting hosts from the Podcast on Fire Network. So we're very happy that he's able to join us and uh, spend some time here in one of our favorite cities, that being the Fragrant Harbor. Um, we've got a lot to get to today. Kevin, what are we going to be covering? Uh, for East Green, we'll be talking about the paranormal quote-unquote documentary, The, the Cases, uh, and also the uh, Jung romance, First Time. For West Screen, we'll be talking about Snow White and the Huntsman and uh, Prometheus. That's right. And we'll be talking about Mr. Spomberg's uh, special secret, I don't know if it's a secret, but his coming project uh, a little bit towards the end there as well. All of that and much more coming up after a little bit of news. All right, so not a lot of news this week because we really have a big show and we want to spend some more time talking with our guests about movies and things. Uh, but one news story caught my eye in the time that we were off last week, uh, and this is about The Hangover 3. Um, apparently the film has been kind of scripted and set, and it's going to be taking place in Tijuana. 
uh, this article coming from uh, Kate Erbland from uh, the hit list over at MSN Entertainment. Uh, it says, um, so that in this third installment, the, the fr franchise has yet to hit Tijuana, but if reports from both Las Vegas Sun and the Toronto Sun are to be believed, that will be the change in the film's third and final entry. Um, you know, not a big deal. I mean, we figured there'd be another film coming. I mean, uh, I guess um, uh, there's only one more character to get married, right? Uh, and that would be the goofball guy, uh, unless somebody's gotten divorced in, in the interim. But, I mean, what do you think about this, Kevin? Uh, Tijuana, a good location? Sure, I, I thought Tijuana should have been a second movie. I mean, they were kind of out of their league when they did Bangkok, and I think Tijuana just seemed like the natural progression for the second film, and maybe Bangkok for the third film, but I, I don't... I'm not expecting much out of this. I mean, if the second movie is already a repeat of the first movie, we can expect this movie to be a repeat of the second yeah, movie, I mean, which is a repeat of the first movie. I don't remember so, much, but I, I think, you know, with Ed Helms' character getting married in the second one, it just leaves Alan, right? The Zach Galifianakis character as the single guy. That, that's assuming that someone cares that someone is getting married. <laughs> unless I, because I wasn't, I think Bradley Cooper's character was married from the beginning. So unless yes, he got so. divorced and is getting remarried. Um, no, the, the plot, I think, as far as I what I've read, is that they're trying to rescue Alan out of something. So I don't know what, <laughs> okay. what they're going to do, but you know, Tijuana, it, it's been, it's a legendary um, place, <laughs> especially those, those of us from California who, who know people who always go down to Tijuana for every any excuse possible for, for a party. I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like the perfect place to go. Yeah, I, I think I remember a, one of Tom Cruise's first films. Uh, I think it was called Losing It where him and a bunch of uh, school buddies head south of the border and get drunk and get crazy. Um, if you're interested in Tom Cruise filmography, you might want to look, look that up. I'm pretty sure it was Tom Cruise. I might be getting confused with Risky Business, but uh, I'm almost certain he was in that too. So, Paul, are you actually looking forward to this movie? Or actually, I'm not. Uh, I was kind of looking forward to the second one, but, you know, there was a big controversy with the way that they portrayed Bangkok and, and you know, some of the depravity and, and the, the negative portrayals of the city itself. Um, unless they do something radically different, which it doesn't sound like they're going to do, um, I mean, what? how much more crude, how much more gross, how much more disgusting can they get? Um, to try and top what they've already done in the first film and the second film. So I, I can't say I'm really looking forward to it, but you know, I, I might give I, I might give, a, give it a look. It depends on the trailer. Um, uh, Dave, what about you? I mean, were the, were the Hangover films big in the UK? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, at the cinema and on sort of DVD as well, pretty, uh, pretty big business. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with Kevin. It's, I don't see um, where they're really going to do anything other than sort of, you know, try and uh, go for the same kind of, uh, you know, areas of humour that they sort of did in the first two. So, you know, you've got to expect more of the same, really, I think. Mm. If there is a UK version of The Hangover, where where would it take place? <laughs> uh, Actually, I'm curious. And same for, for, for Marco. If there's a uh, East German equivalent of The Hangover, I would like to If know I was where. the director of the UK version, I'd put it in Cardiff. Just because that's yeah, where Torchwood is based. Either Cardiff <laughs> or Newcastle. That's pretty. That's pretty much party central as well. So. Uh, how about you, Marco? Any uh, any any thoughts or desires on the third film? Uh, I haven't seen any of the films yet. So really? Okay. I think I will 
give a pass on on the third one too. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I think, who knows? Uh, Maybe the um, you just go into the third one and it would be should, a fresh experience. Be right? Probably be played somewhere in England too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, I also mentioned Newcastle actually because when they redid the MTV show uh, Jersey Shore, they said it in uh, Newcastle, mm. and they, and they called it Geordie Shore, which is like you know a slang term for someone from the from the area. So interesting. Um, so we got a couple guys in the chat room. Uh, Kenneth says Hangover 3D. Oh, God. Um, oh, Jesus. No. Scary. No. I do not need Ken Jong stick in my face <laughs> in 3D. <laughs> uh, however small it is. I'm sorry. And with that, we just went explicit. Okay. We apologize, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant to you not use that word and then just, yeah, just kind of naturally went yeah, there. Yeah, blurted you know? out. Uh, yeah. uh, just like Ken Jong in the movie, right? It you can you pops bleep, up. You can bleep me out. You know, I, I totally allow it right now. That's all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Hangover Three, Tijuana. Look for it at a theater coming soon, I guess. Uh, Kevin, you have a little bit of news about uh, Zhang Ziyi. She's been uh, quite a hot topic of late. I'm not sure if we covered her some of the news of her at all in the last show i think we might have mentioned a little bit but it's sort of uh gotten a little bit more heated and and legal since then right yeah um well if if in case you guys don't know um apple daily and next magazine here in hong kong uh published uh, a story um uh, alleging that that uh Zhang Ziyi, uh, has been involved in the Bo Lai scandal. Uh, she was a, uh, reportedly she was paid to have sex with the entrenched Chinese politician, and that she has been um, banned from leaving the country uh, because of her involvement with with the man, uh, and the and because well therefore she is involved with the, with the scandal. But um, Zhang Ziyi will got really angry, as you you might you might expect. Um, not only did she prove that she was not banned from leaving China by holding a press conference in Hong Kong, she is now also filing a lawsuit against both Apple Daily and uh, Mix Magazine as well as an overseas new website. Uh, someone says it's Bo Xun News Web in Taiwan or something that, that has been spreading the story. Um, so she is suing those three news organizations for, for libel, hmm. uh, which, you know. It's I guess it's a good it's a, it's a strong way to fight back because um, the, these kind of these kind of rumors are flying on the internet every day and and all all celebrities can do is you know it's, it's their word against the, the the media so by 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 taking it to the court essentially she is defending her honor really the best the most aggressive way possible um, yeah what 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 do you guys think are you, are you guys disappointed that it didn't happen. <laughs> Um, I, I just don't, I, I don't think it's believable. Um, mm -hmm. it's just a bit too far-fetched. I think she's too big. I mean, if you were talking about somebody, you know, a, a new up-and-coming starlet, uh, I could see that a little bit more, but she's too big yes. to kind of get wrapped up in that kind of stuff, I would think. That's what I think as well, because, I mean, a, a, a younger starlet, a TV star or something, they'd be more hungry for this kind of success you know apparently what she like gave her what 10 million or 10 million dollars to spend or something i you know does chance really need 10 million you know she could make 10 million from making another hollywood, and, like, and, and hollywood. she's married right i mean no she's not she she just broke it off with her french boyfriend okay. two years ago which totally understandable because he's french yeah. but anyway <laughs> <laughs> careful <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, no, she doesn't. 
uh, she she's not only at the point where she she is too big to be embroiled in this kind of kind of kind of business she doesn't need the money that this small time Chongqing politician is offering i mean if she was going to go do that kind of stuff she would be working it out in beijing yeah that's yeah. right makes sense you know it, we, we've got representatives here from the uk from uh europe from america uh from hong kong i mean we're gonna end up uh, offending somebody at some point right? so uh, <laughs> yeah. i think let's start with the french uh, you know, why don't we make fun of a, of a, uh, who is it? Uh, Gigi Lung's husband, right? He's Italian. Is it, I can't tell between Kara Mok, I can't differentiate between Kara Mok and Gigi Lung's husbands because <laughs> they're both European. I remember one of them is Spanish. I don't remember what the, who, where the other one is from. So, mm. uh, Marco, you could, you should totally volunteer to be the next, to marry the next Hong Kong star. So then, you know, we cover, you know. Well, here's here's an interesting comment from the chat room. Blue Summer says, "If she's suing, then it must be true." Um, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe. no. Why? Why would be? Because if she's suing, which means she must have enough evidence, or she's essentially challenging the Apple Daily and Next Magazine to come up with the evidence that they they threatened to have. You know, bring it on. Yeah. So, so I think it's actually quite aggressive to stop this because usually the stars that do they just kind of let it die down. But but this is like a real aggressive way to try and pressure absolutely say hey show show me do, you, do you say think I there's did it, any possibility that she's she's riding this a little bit um you know the old adage that uh the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about maybe she's uh because she hasn't really done anything in a in a couple of years what was her last movie sophie's choice or sophie's revenge mm. I'm not sure, but she does have a movie coming up. She does have the remake of Dangerous Liaisons coming up. Hmm. And she is still one of the highest paid actresses in China. So it's not like she's not uh, in demand or anything. So um, we put on, could we put on our conspiracy hat and say maybe this is uh, just some publicity stirring to get her name out there for before her film comes? True. I mean, she does have Dangerous Liaison and the Wong Kar Wai film, which I, oh, which actually explains why she's been missing, because she was on that set for like two years. Hmm. Um, but anyway, the... You know, I, I think she she is essentially trying to break the cycle that, you know, because usually stars, they let these things die down and, you know, they know that it goes away. So she, she's essentially saying, you know, because Apple Daily and Next Magazine, let's, let's face it, they're not exactly the, you know, they're not exactly a Pulitzer. What? Really? Pulitzer level journalism going on over there. I mean, these mm. are the guys who put the Andy Law rumor on, on the front page and said it's true. And now they're falling back under the word and then they're putting it barrier in 813. Mm. So... Essentially, they're, they're, she is essentially threatening or telling, you know, challenging these guys. I mean, hey, you guys want to spread rumors and then just sort of forget about it when you're wrong? No, you can't get away with it this time. So well, it'll be interesting to see how how, how yeah. they react. If uh, if all that holds true, I hope she uh, cleans their clock, as it were. Um, it's about time. Yeah, more I'm power saying. to her. Anyway. All right, yeah. shall, we, shall we talk on, about some movies? I think that's all our news, right? Yep. All right. Hey. All right, so we have two e-screen films to talk about this week, um, and only two of us have seen this first film because two of us were probably smart enough to totally avoid it altogether. Uh, we have MFAs. Yeah, th th this is the this is the 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 latest. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, reality TV become film um, called The Cases. Now this is. Um, this, this this is a film that owes its lineage to sort of a long line of films that 
try and exploit aspects of Asia. Um, a couple years ago, they had a film, The Unbelievable, uh, which of which this is in the same line. Uh, going back, though, you can look at um, The Supernormal, The Supernormal 2, or even Shocking Asia, um, 1, 2, and 3, which kind of set the foundation for these kinds of films. They go around, they try and find the, 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 the mythical, the mystical... Um, things that are out of the, the ordinary, the, the paranormal sometimes, or sometimes just the, the culturally strange. And I, the, the shocking Asia films and even the supernormal kind of have a, a, a little bit of a nostalgic place in my heart because I, do, I would argue that those films have some value on, on a cultural sense. It's not all about trying to uh, find you know, prove that there's a ghost or, or something. A lot of it's uh, sometimes uncovering cultural aspects or history aspects or aspects of a cultural practice. But those films have now emerged into sort of these new reality TV style films, which are very cheap and very quick to make and don't really offer much of anything. And unfortunately, that is true. That was true of The Unbelievable, and that is true of this new film, uh, The Cases. Now, The Unbelievable, if I remember correctly, featured Master Sito, as sort of the main ghostbuster feng shui master who was going around and doing the investigating and 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 trying to question the spirits and and talking with other mediums and people in the field um and this time there's a, there's a new person on the scene uh who goes by the name of uh, master edmund master edmund poon who i'm not familiar with but i'm guessing he's probably got some kind of a radio show or uh, a TV show out there somewhere, um, but he is a he is a somewhat younger guy compared to Master Sito the la of, of the last time. He what goes around with sort of a black SDU looking jacket and a, and a black baseball cap. So he's going for the sort of the younger, cooler Ghostbuster look. Um, we can say. So this film it it bounces Someone around. Actually brought up calling him. What what's that? When actually brought up the fact that they could call, who are they gonna call? Yeah, <laughs> Master Master Pooh. <laughs> um, yeah, insert your own joke, right? Um, <laughs> so they they like some of these series tend to do. They they bounce around to different places. They start out in Malaysia, and actually this this one sets up a sort of a series of different vignettes based on different practices and different weird, strange phenomenon. Um, the first one. And this sort of sets the tone <laughs> for the entire film. is called Menstruation Witchcraft. All right. Um, oh, that's the one that made me turn off the trailer. Yeah. Uh, and the way that Menstruation Witchcraft works is that the basic basic component of of the spells that are cast through Menstruation witch, Witchcraft is basically the the woman's menstrual flow. Now they try and tie this in with actual news. Kevin, you'll remember, I want to say it was maybe two or three years ago, um, there was a case here in Hong Kong with one of the domestic helpers who had apparently been cooking her menstrual flow in with the breakfast uh, or the food of the family she was serving as sort of a to get revenge on them for treating her badly or something. Do you remember that well, story? Why was somebody the, 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 the expert on these stories. <laughs> I'm just asking you if you remember. I know you. I know no. you read news. No, um, 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 I've heard a couple of yeah. weird out there stories, but not, this the, one this was this was an actual story. The the woman, I believe, she was arrested. 
Um, and they try and tie this whole idea in that this this is actually a witchcraft practice, and it wasn't she wasn't just being disgusting to get revenge, but there's some type of power involved in doing this. Um, Good for her. Hey. Yeah, and the, the the way that they basically portray this is they show that there's this 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 shaman uh, who's getting and he gets the ingredients by basically jabbing a stick. Um, up a young lady, uh, uh, you know, you have to be menstruating, and it has to, I guess it has to be your menstrual flow. So he jabs a stick uh, up this woman's hoo ha and pulls the stick out, and there's menstrual flow, and he uses that as part of the ingredients of the spell. And then they go in and they do sort of a, a reenactment of a guy getting sick and something or, or something. They, they do these reenactments, they're very poorly done. Yeah. Um, there's another scene where the, the shaman bites the head off a chicken. Uh, and really does it. I mean, it's just, it's like watching Ozzy Osbourne from the 1970s. Um, so no, no real big thing there. Um, the third, what was it? The third one, the, the second one was called Corpse Island. And they just took these girls. The, typically you've got the master and you've got one or two girls who follow the master along so that they can be the ones who get scared and scream and cry and things. Um, so they took one of these girls to, uh, I think her name was, uh, was it, uh, Wiley Chu or Chloe Chu? Yeah, Wiley Chu, yeah. It's Wiley yeah. Chu, right? Um, they took one of them to this place called Corpse Island where they've got these corpses, you know, just buried sort of above ground in these grass, uh, these grass coffins, so you can see the body there. Um, the, 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 the interesting one was, I think it was the, the fourth case, it was a romance witchcraft. So this prostitute goes to this Sifu, and he casts a spell on her, and he, like, puts something in her belly button. Um, that's part of the spell, and it's supposed to make her client fall in love with her, so he'll come back. And the way that they prove this is they set up a hidden camera in the prostitute's little room, and apparently the same guy comes back on Monday, on Tuesday, and on Thursday. And so that proves that the spell works, because the guy was a horn dog, and he just, you know, visited her for a couple days in a row during that week. Um... And you know they 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 have intercourse, but it's all blotted out and everything. So it's uh, it's a little bit of class. Yeah, it's a little bit of TNA <laughs> to try and bring in a, a, a certain subset, I guess, of audience. Um, so it goes on like that, and then it goes on to do some of the other typical stuff you've seen in some of the other other ones. They play a Ouija board at one point. They go to this place in Japan that's haunted. It was supposedly a a young schoolgirl who was killed there by a bunch of guys. And the only way we know this is because the, the one of the uh, young assistants starts crying because she can feel the spirit. And she just cries for like 10 minutes. And I, it's, it's a great promo reel if she wants to be an actress, I guess, for TVB because that's all that really happens. Um, there are a couple other cases. That, there's one where they go out in the woods and they've got blindfolds on and the master poon says, oh, something just touched me. <laughs> and we don't see anything. He's just like, oh, did, uh, I just felt something touch my leg. And I'm like, are you, are you, are you serious? Are you seriously passing this off as, as real? And I kept thinking to myself, if they just did this as a lark, you know, if they, if they just slightly modified this and ad added in a little bit of script writing, it would be so funny as an actual like comedy spoof. Um, it's, it's not that far removed and it would be very easy to do, but they're playing this up as, as legit. The, the last one, which I thought was really interesting, was the shadow team. 
And you probably didn't know this, Kevin, or maybe you did. I don't know. I, you know, because I know you know some shady people in Hong Kong. But you there, never know what I'm involved in. Yeah, there is a shadow team here in Hong Kong that's made up of civil servants who handle paranormal cases like the X-Files. And uh, these civil servants come from all different departments in the Hong Kong government. And they're not allowed to tell anybody any of this because it's completely secretive. So we you know, we, we know a civil servant. Paul. Yeah, we, we have a, a we have yeah. our we have our own X Files, only we yes. didn't even know it. Um, and and all they do to prove this is they have a guy, you know, his voice is masked and he's in, hidden in the shadow and he's just saying, "Yeah, we've got a shadow team in Hong Kong, and I was a member." Ha ha ha. Sorry, I was actually in the movie. I wouldn't tell you what, but that was that's part of me. So, yeah, I mean, they jump around. Like I said, they go to Indonesia, Malaysia, Japan, Hong Kong for a few of the cases. They're all really lame. The one thing that's constant in a couple of them is they put up text on the screen, both in English and Chinese, that says, pay, now pay attention carefully to the screen, right? It's, it's giving you that exact command. And so you're looking at the screen and nothing happens. <laughs> um, you know, at, at, at least in some of the older ones, they they'd like shake the camera, and they'd pause it suddenly, and and they'd sh circle a shape that was supposed to be there. They didn't even bother to do that. It's like it, there's just nothing there. It's it 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 was really really just cheaply produced, and uh, you know they got a few bucks from me, so I'm the sucker. And uh, Dave, you were the sucker too. So did you get anything out useful out of it? No, it's it's pretty dire stuff. I mean, it's um, a familiar kind of uh, tale. Uh, you know, there's plenty of sort of TV shows along the same kind of lines, kind of, uh, you know, most haunted and sort of ghost hunters follow sort of, you know, somewhat similar lines. And they use a lot of the same kind of uh, tricks as well. You know, like you were saying, um, oh, you know, something just touched me or, oh, I just saw something. And, you know, it's just they kind of do those kinds of things to you know to get some footage, and you know, and then they just kind of they pad it out a bit, and like you were saying, they kind of highlight highlighted an image that was supposedly there, but even when they did that, you you know, it was it was pretty thin. I mean, yeah. the only um, the fun bit on one of them was uh, was on the uh, the prostitute segment um, where they the voice masking, it kind of really quite high pitched, so it's. <laughs> Comedy value, yeah. um, I'm quite glad I didn't, didn't see Unbelievable now. Actually, so. Yeah, this... I, I hate to say it, but I told you so. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you did. I, I, I just didn't. I, I figured, you know, after seeing the Unbelievable, the only place they had to go <laughs> was did. up. You did, and I was totally wrong. Um, so, and the, the, I did learn one useful thing: iPhones can detect ghosts. You know, because iPhones. Um, apparently there are apps out there that can detect electromagnetic waves. Um, and these are used to detect ghosts. And, and I, I've looked this up. There are actually a number of ghost detecting apps out there, some free, some that you can buy. And I'm just thinking somebody needs to write into the, the, the writers for the show Supernatural because the Winchester boys on Supernatural are always carrying around like this big heavy device for detecting the uh, electromagnetic fields when they're detecting ghosts. And I'm thinking, you know, just let them use their iPhone because it's, it's all right there built in. You know, Steve Jobs, we could detect him if he's wandering around. Um, so, yeah, the cases, uh, it's just, like I said, I am somebody who really likes, like, the Supernormal 1 and 2 and the old shocking 
uh, Asia videos. They're kind of hard to find, but you can still come across them in some places. Um, and, and, and I see some value in those. There's no value in this at all. So please just flee it. Don't waste your time. Spend not your money. Uh, there are much better things you could be doing. Uh, Dave, what would you say? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty much a flee it as well. well I, I did want to check. In the bit, the bit in the film, he's talking, he's talking about the phone and the app. I, f- I, I, I wasn't sure because I checked with, um, you know, the person I was seeing the film with. I thought it said he's downloaded, the subtitle said he's downloaded an ape to his phone. Was that just like, wishful thinking on my part? <laughs> it probably did. It probably <laughs> did. I, you know, for a film like this, I would not uh, put the English subtitling um, up to any high standard at all. Um, you know, if, I, if I, you know, it's not going to... <laughs> It's not going to say anything great about the film if I'm sort of inventing my own. Jokes, so. <laughs> uh, I do have a question, actually, guys. Um, they they go to the, the the so-called Japanese forest of suicide at one point, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So a little bit of Hong Kong movie trivia. That's actually the also the forest that that inspired the Pang Brother movie, Forest of Death, starring Ikin Chan and Ray Lee. Yeah. The interesting Why? thing about that scene is that. There's a shot, and, and I think Marco could appreciate this as a filmmaker, right? There's a, there's a shot where it shows Master Pang and, and his, the girl he has on that, that, that trip with, as his assistant walking. And one shot is them walking, and they, they, they like point up a path, and they go, Oh, there's a, there's a do not enter sign, right? And then the very next shot is the cameraman behind the chain, where the sign is at, right? And them like just suddenly discovering it. So you can tell that they're totally staging uh, their sequences and they're not really thinking about how it's playing out narratively when they're, when they're setting up their shots and they're actually doing their filming. Um, so just a whole lot of fakery in a lot of what was going on. The worst thing is, at the very end, they threaten a sequel. Yeah, uh, yeah. Master Pang yeah, comes yeah, out yeah. and he boldly says, yeah, we're going to be back in... The case is two, and that one's not going to be about ghosts. It's going to be about UFOs. So, because that one's so much more believable. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's. In the, I think we've spent far too much time on the cases. Uh, our next film is f- the latest from Angela Baby, uh, First Time. Uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about First Time? Yeah. Um. Sure. Okay. So. Uh, a couple years ago, when when Eric Tung uh, produced uh, a series of films, uh, all named uh, Winds of September, is actually the three versions of the same story: uh, one in Taiwan, one in Hong Kong, and one in China. Uh, the one in Taiwan was, of course, named Winds of September. Uh, that one was directed by Tom Lin, who went on to direct Starry Starry Night. The Hong Kong version was actually High Noon, directed by Hayward Mack, and she went on to direct um, X with uh, Jillian and, and and all those young actors, and she will be making another movie coming out this summer called Diva, starring Joey Young and Mag Lam. So obviously she's also made a big. The China version actually was banned. Uh, so director Han Yan, his, his film, which uh, I have been told was actually the best of the three, he never made his form, released his formal directorial debut. So this is his first actual, I think, his first um, feature film to be released. It's called First Time. It comes a couple years after that um, that, that, that banned version of Winds of September. Uh, and this one's a lot more toned down. It's a very innocent, pure love, uh, youth romance kind of deal. Uh, it stars Angela Baby as um, as Chow, a, a young girl who who is um, who has a, a terminal disease, which I can't even name right now. It's like 
dyslexia, dys, dysphosia, something about her muscles. Uh, anyways, so so she so so the so her mother. Um, so one day she she is reunited with her uh, old um, high school classmate named Gong Ning, played by Mark Chao. The two uh, embark on a very innocent and uh, seemingly magical romance, uh, and that's essentially all I can talk about because there is. Because that's essentially just when you think the whole movie is going to be like that, something comes along and changes things. Um, but so that's all I can say. It is a remake of a Korean film named Dot 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 Eng, or I guess I guess the official title is Eng. Mm. So there's that little pause. Eng. <laughs> but I've never seen the film, so I don't know how it compares. Uh, but I, what I've heard is that it's also the tearjerker. Like like this one, um, the first half is essentially like the worst youth romance novel you've ever read. Every you know bad cliche, bad dialogue, um, uh, these the, this fairy tale romance thing comes out and, and doesn't even seem like they're trying to make it look real. Um, the dialogue is really fake and the whole thing is really superficial and you're wondering how are they gonna sustain it for a hundred minutes. But there's a twist about fifty minutes in that kind of saves the film a bit. It brings the film into a new direction. Um, but the problem is for me that the last 20 minutes, it kind of delves back into the lame youth romance angle and, and the dialogue goes back to being bad and, and wishy-washy and fairy tale-y. And, and you never really buy this world. I know they're trying to create this kind of false China world. Um, it's really pretty, really picturesque. But not, you don't even buy the romance itself because you don't buy the characters because everything is written so... I want to say TV drama, where you know everyone is is everyone speaks with a purpose. Every dialogue has a purpose to explain something to an audience, and that that for me kind of takes me right out of the movie. Um, the two stars, however, they do they do try their best. Uh, Andrew Baby is okay as the lead. She has kind of come into her own as a actually pretty reliable leading act, lead actress. Uh, Mark Chow is uh, kind of turns on the charm up to 11 here, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but you can see why Gao Yuan is dating him, even though she's like 10 years older. Um, the problem is that the script makes Angela Baby looks like she's traveled from some kind of fairy tale world into the real one. It either, so I, and, and I actually whispered this to Paul during the movie, and I said, this movie makes Angela Baby look really stupid. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, I feel really sorry. You know, at, at the first half, I just thought, wow, she's, she looks an idiot. And then second half, I just kind of feel sorry for her because it, it almost, it's almost like she never read the whole script and how stupid it makes her look. <laughs> and I just started feeling sorry for her as a person. So, so it's not really exactly a movie you want to sell Angela Baby with, sadly. Uh, also, Mark Chow playing a rocker, I didn't buy it. Mark Chow is he's okay, um, you know, with that, you know, leading romance, leading man thing. But him as a rocker, yeah. Uh, he said he, he compares himself to Cobain and Nirvana, and I'm just kind of, and I puked in my eye in the aisle, so that didn't work out. <laughs> which is which is really weird, right? Because I mean, just to, just to jump in for a minute while I have this thought in my head, that I I wasn't really sure when this was set. You know, because at yeah. one point, you know, she's doing, she, she records basically a daily diary on these tapes, cassette tapes on a little like Sony Walkman. No, no, no. So, soul, and then they covered the NY. So okay. Yes. So a little soul Walkman. Um, and, and he's and when he starts talking about like uh, Cobain and grunge rock and stuff, I'm thinking, all right, this is set in the nineties. But then later 
they're you know they're talking about modern stuff like mp3 players and, and things like that so it was a little bit confusing in terms of the the, the actual setting in in a few places i think they want to be timeless but it just comes off as 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 confusing <laughs> you know they're trying to do is you know, it's timeless romance is timeless and it's never too too old-fashioned and just like you guys don't know what you're doing <laughs> i think but it, anyway yeah it's the whole thing just i think that really that also took me out you know the whole thing they're using cassette tapes and andrew baby's talking like she's in some 60s you know melodrama romance and then meanwhile you know march out going nirvana and cobain and then we went and then also talk about improving <laughs> players and some people are, are dressed like they're coming off a jay chow music video i can't tell what's going on here uh speaking of jay chow uh this is actually big the big acting debut of cindy yuan uh, a pop star that that march uh not march uh jay chow discovered and she plays um well, a role that if I reveal would be a would be a twist. So actually, because she's in the second half of the film, and it's supposed to be a big acting debut, and her being the film also meant that Jay Chow wrote the theme song. That's a little trivia for you. But again, the 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 you know it's such a non-event because her character is such a non-event. So it's not even that big of a deal. But I got I figured some pop fans might want to know. Um, in the end, really, just if you like the stars, I think you will mildly okay be okay with it. Otherwise, I think it's made for high schoolers who need a good cry after their, their uh, college examination exam the day before, the day before it opened. <laughs> um, you know, oh, this was my test. Oh, I had your baby die. So, um, otherwise, I, I have no idea who this movie is made for. I, I totally, you know, and I, I like romance movies. I like a good romance movie. I like a good tearjerker, but I couldn't get involved. I couldn't wait for it to be over. 102 minutes. I'm just, I, you know, the twist did help a little bit, but I, it didn't work for me. So I would say, say, flee it unless you like the stars and it's a TV it. Um, but there is a subtitle of the week. Let's see if we agree on it later. Yeah, so, so, Paul? Are you want to wait? All right. Yeah, we can wait. Uh, uh, all right, Dave, what was your thoughts? You saw it with us. Yeah, I just thought that kind of really overplayed the uh, material. Um there's all loads of little like little gimmicky bits they kept going back to again and again. He, he keeps scratching his head and she keeps hiccuping and they've got this kind of elaborate handshake they keep doing. And, and you know, that, that pops up at a real kind of, uh, you know, it's supposed to be an important uh, sort of moment in the film. But by that point, they've done it so many times. You don't, it's supposed to be a big thing, but you don't, you don't care, you know. Hmm. But um yeah, it's um, you know, there's the key thing with you know, like a, a romantic comedy or a romantic drama is you kind of you actually got to want to see the couple, you know, you want to you want to see, you want them to be together. That's the whole thing. If if you're not if you if you can't buy that, if you've kind of you know that's that's pretty crucial, you know, in, you yeah. know, in this in this kind of thing. And I mean, I would. Uh, compare and contrast it with um, the film I saw today uh, in the cinema here, uh, Bad Girls. I mean, it's uh, it's more obviously a comedy, but it's, you know, it's a broadly similar story, but they didn't, didn't take it too seriously. And, you know, they did lots of the usual things you get in these kinds of films, but, you know, it, it just is, um, in, you know, it works. I thought it, it worked but better. They didn't sort of overplay what they had. They knew, knew what they were doing and they knew what they were aiming for. And they just kind of, they kind of went, went, went with it and didn't, uh, didn't take it that seriously. Yeah, but I hated Bad Girls. Anyway. Uh, did, yeah, did, really? did he just say Bad Girls like, was better yes, than Angela Baby's bad. movie? 
No, oh. no, the Ella, the Ella movie. Yes, Miss, Miss Baby is not amused. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, you know, it wasn't sort of a, wasn't like a major, major uh, bit of work. It's it a major piece of. Yeah, you know, it's the it's kind of film I might, you know, might might watch with me, uh, my daughter or something like that. You know, so it's kind of more of a kind of family. You know, I didn't mind it in comparison. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I I think for myself, I I, I agree with Kevin. The, the the first act is really kind of dull because it's such a by the numbers, uh, you know, story, and 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 it's doing all the standard things that we've kind of seen before. Um. But then it sort of picks up in the second act. They throw in a couple twists that make it more interesting. Um, it really, as Kevin said, you, to like this movie, though, you need to like the leads. So I liked one half of this movie, pretty much. Um, and that was that was the half with Miss uh, Miss Baby in it. Uh, I didn't care for Mark Chow that much. And, and I think it's true that at the end, you really want to see... For 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 it to be successful, you really want to see them together. By the end, I was kind of on board with it, but it took me a long time to get there because I really didn't like the Mark Chow character um, at first. And I, I did enjoy the the performances. Um, you know, Angela Baby does this pouty, cute face thing um, that 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 kind of, you know she does it in most of her movies, and and it works for me. Um, but for the most part. Uh, you know, she was okay. Kevin says that she was kind of stupid, but I think that that was intentional for the role um, because she is playing this person whose her brain is supposedly being affected by the medication she's taking. Um, and so I think part of that might have... excuse. Yeah, might might have... Maybe, maybe it was an excuse. Maybe it was intentional. Um, uh, but in terms of the overall look of the film, I think it looks great. It, I felt it was really well shot from sort of a technical standpoint. It does create this faux China, this sort of fake China, which I would say is comparable to films like Sophie's Revenge, where it's you can't really pinpoint where it is in China. And if you tried to find this China, good luck, because it's a super <laughs> clean China and it's a super uncrowded China, and then there are no, uh, you know, there are no, um, you know, Red Guard soldiers on the corner watching your every move and 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, cracking down on you if you get out of, out of line and this kind of thing. Um, but it's it's very nice to look at the art direction. I think is very good. Um, you know, they they really sort of go for this kind of Europeanish flair with some of the decorations. In, so I'm thinking like in her room and some of the house settings and things. Um, and and I think I think that was quite nice. Uh, this the film really did feel very Korean though. That's and, and I this is coming off off of two. Because I saw it twice. The first time I, I, I saw it, I, I liked it, but I wanted to see if it held up for me with a second viewing once I sort of knew what was going on. And it, and it did, um, but it still feels, the story and the structure still feels so very Korean, um, which, which I think is probably very much because of the director's hand and everything. No, because uh, it is Korean. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because of the director and, and because of, it's based on the Korean story. But, I mean, even the... Just the, the the overall tone of it still feels that way um, in in the way that it sort of delivers everything. It, there There's nothing really in it to me that really felt like this was a China movie, per se. Um, and I, I remember the first time watching it, I, I was trying to look for clues. Like, I was looking for writing on buildings uh, to make sure that it was China and not Taiwan or um, or Hong Kong. The license plate. Yeah. The license plate, um, yeah. But the one thing I will say is that the poster is a lie. 
All right, if you've seen the poster for this film, it shows the two leads in the ocean, in the water, soaking wet, face-to-face, looking like they're ready to embrace, ready to kiss. That never happens in this movie. It is, it, it's a lie, and I don't think, uh, you know... If Bloody you, lie. If you're going in to, to see a, a, a soaking wet Mark Chow or a soaking wet Angel Baby, you, you're just not going to get it. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe it'll be in the NG, but... Um, They've showed us the NG at the end, right? We didn't need to. You saw all the deletes scenes at yeah, the end. We didn't. We and didn't. I have seen a soaking wet Angel Baby when I was sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's leave it at that. Um, still, I will say, uh, see it. I, I still liked it a lot, even with the second viewing, even though it's flawed in some ways. I think it's, for what we've seen this this year so far, it's the best rom-com of the year. Um, no. <laughs> no? You think something's Sorry. better? I disagree. I, well, I, would, I don't. If you go talk about what's better rom com, I can't name one right now. That is true, but mm. it just feels. I, I can't say straight face that it's the best anything. I think. Maybe <laughs> it's the best Angela Baby movie of the year. I don't know. Is this her only movie of the year? If there's an only movie of the year, then it's the best Angela Baby movie of the year so far. Yes, mm. I agree with that one. Uh, I don't know about best anything else. Okay. Yes. Well, we'll agree That's... to disagree for now. Okay. Until something comes and sweeps it under the rug. Um, so you did mention that there's a subtitle of the week, so let me play this. What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles. All right, so you have a subtitle for us, Mr. Ma. Yes, the subtitle of the week is in the monologue near the end. Uh, when, during during uh, Angela Baby's character's uh, monologue at the end, she says, Gongning, you bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she said it with a lot more... <laughs> She said it three times, actually. You know, uh, subtlety and, and the softness of her voice that, unfortunately, Mr. Ma is not really able to convey. Um, <laughs> I ran into my, my classmate, actually, after the movie in the bathroom, and he said, and I said, and we were watching the same film, I said, yeah, how, how was the film for you? And he's like, Jesus, that last line, you bad boy, what the hell? <laughs> so yeah. I was not the only one. I was not the only one who kind of cringed at that line, but didn't, wasn't there another one that we had we had also put into to contender? Yeah, contender? The, the, there's there's another point where she just says whatever. <laughs> she says, um, "No matter no matter who you are, yeah. blah 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 or blah blah blah, whatever." Yeah, um, it really it it really does get the what I what I'd like to call the Andy Lau uh, taking it easy award. You know, because in, in Shaolin, he's got that classic line where he says, let's just call it a day, right? <laughs> um, so here she says it in almost exactly the same tone. It's just like, whatever. <laughs> and it, just, it was kind of funny. Um, so, yeah. All right. So that is uh, that is uh, the e-screen review for first time. I think, you know, overall... Um, Pretty positive from from for for the most part. Uh, Dave not on board as much as as, as I am, nor is Kevin. But uh, if you're an Angela Baby fan, it's definitely a must see. All right, we've got one film for two films for West Screen. Uh, we're quickly going to try and burn through this first film because it's not a good movie. But uh, also because not all of us have seen it. And that is Snow White and the Huntsman. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, Dave, you want to give us a synopsis of Snow White and the Huntsman? Um, well, it's, it's the famous story, really. It's uh, basically Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, you know, it's the same kind of story beats, but between those, you know, elements, it, it goes off in a sort of a slightly different direction. 
But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Basically, when you boil it down, it's pretty much Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So did the direction work for you? Um, yeah, actually, I was... Uh, ultimately, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I guess I kind of had in mind the film of uh, what was it, a year or two ago. I did like kind of a little red riding hood kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. I I, I don't what, think... is, what is the twist this time around? What makes this one so so different? Um, it's just they, they kind of they have the you know the traditional kind of elements of the story they do have you know obviously got this they got the seven dwarfs and the, you know, the same kinds of uh, things happen but it's just kind of between the kind of main sort of plot elements they kind of um, you know they just they don't they kind of just go in a different a different direction I mean uh, it's, for example you know, did the, the original story have Thor no <laughs> uh, no no <laughs> I mean, I'm probably more, you know, I mean, like most people are most familiar with, you know, with the Disney sort of animation. So, I mean, I, uh, I'm not sure I've ever read, even as a kid, I ever read the sort of, you know, the, any kind of original uh, original tale. So I'm, I don't remember so much about it, but I actually was, you know, was, was pleasantly surprised. I thought the casting was, was, was pretty good. I liked... Um, you know, it's always fun seeing sort of you know Chris Chris Hemsworth uh, beating people up, so that's good. And you know, it was, uh, it was filmed in the in the UK, so you got a lot of sort of um, uh, British uh, theatre and sort of TV actors in in, in the smaller roles. And um, they don't, you know, typically when you've had these kinds of traditional tales, you know, sort of roles like the Seven Dwarfs aren't usually uh, sort of cast. In any kind of big way, but here they, you know, they get, um, they get. There's a lot of big names, you know, uh, Bob Hoskins, Ian McShane, um, Ray Winston, uh, you know, Nick Frost of the, uh, you know, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. So they go kind of all out with the casting, and then I'm not usually, even usually that uh, uh, big of a fan of the, you know, uh, Kristen Stewart, you know, which is probably going to annoy my daughter because she's a, you know, crazy uh, sort of Twilight fan, but. Even in even in this, I thought you know she's kind of she's got you know kind of growing as a as an actress, um, you know, and sort of you know much better than uh, I've seen her in uh, in sort of the Twilight movies. I never sort of never thought that much of her from those, but I, I kind of liked it really. I was you know pleasantly surprised at least. I guess my expectations were were, were quite low because I you know I wasn't sort of I wasn't thinking it would be a whole lot kind of to it, but. Yeah, overall, I, th- I think I liked it. I, uh, I was happy to have seen it in the cinema. Hmm. Yeah. So this is the this is the, the coming from a uh, new director, Rupert Sanders. This is his first feature film. Um, doesn't have a lot pre- previously on his credit. It says he's a, a British commercial short film and feature director, but he's based in Los Angeles. He's worked on some television advertisements, including one for Halo Three, ODST. Um, and, but this is really his first feature length, uh, film release. Of course, um, as we mentioned, starring Kristen Stewart as the titular Snow White, um, Charlize Theron as, uh, Queen Ravana, the evil queen, Chris Hemsworth as the Huntsman. So the biggest change they have here, of course, is that in traditional Snow White, she goes and there's, she lives with the dwarves and the queen sends the Huntsman to kill her. As she enters the the dark forest, but she's rescued by the dwarves. The huntsman doesn't have the, the he doesn't have it within him to kill her, so 
he returns, I think, with like a stag's heart or something else to try and uh, trick the queen. Um, that's in sort of the original Disney fairy tale version. Um, and then she is later tricked by the queen to eat the poison apple, and then she's kissed by Prince Charming um, with true love's first kiss and, and something and wakes her up, right? Um, so that's the classic story. This kind of has some of those elements, um, and it kind of doesn't. Um, it throws in a lot of different bends in some places, and perhaps I'm a little bit biased. I think I've had my fill of Snow White this year, in part because I've been watching the, um, the, 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 the Disney TV show Once Upon a Time, um, and also because we had the Julia Roberts Mirror Mirror uh, earlier this year, which was sort of another reimagining of Snow White as well. Um, and for this reimagining, I don't know, there was just a whole lot that really bugged me, uh, that sort of limited my enjoyment of it. For the, for the one, it was the queen. Um, Charlize Theron was just so over the top and was a complete antithesis to the role that we're going to talk about that she has in, in sort of the next movie. I mean, talk about polar opposites, really, uh, of, of, of just acting and performance. Um, and for the most part, I really didn't feel like there was a lot here that made this feel like Snow White. And they changed so much of it, I really think they should have just created their own new thing. And, you know, why call it Snow White? Why not just call it, you know, uh, the princess and the queen or something? You know, you just remove <laughs> yourself from Snow White altogether. And then you have this really cool new thing. And you don't have all the expectations to put upon it. Um Kristen Stewart, again, you're going to like her or you're not going to like her. She's sort of a very polarizing person. Um, when, you know, when you mention that she's sort of acting in the same space as people like, um, um, you know, some of, like Ian McShane and some of these others, um, I'm not sure she's really at the level where she needs to be to be in that space with some of these folks. Um, and, and, and that kind of comes across in, in some of the scenes that she does. I don't think she's... She, she's just kind of got this brooding, dour nature that she has in, in all the stuff that she's done. And it works well in Twilight. Don't think it works so well here. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, though, was they use a lot of CG here. Because, again, you have people like Ian McShane, Bob Hoskins, um, Ray Winstone, Nick Frost playing the dwarves. And these are all full-size actors, and they're using special effects to make them look like dwarves. And it got me to thinking, because this is a completely different choice from what they did with the more traditional thing that we've seen in Wizard of Oz, or we saw in Mirror Mirror, where they get actors who are little people to play these roles. And it makes me wonder if the little people are angry, because now they're getting even fewer opportunities. I mean, on the one hand, people are raving about, um, um, what's his name, uh, playing in Game of Thrones, Tyrion. Oh, where? Uh, um... um... What's his name? Uh, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah, Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah. Um, you know, they're raving about his, his performance and, and, and the things he's doing there. But at the same time, we're using CG to kind of limit the opportunities that, that um, little people actors now have. So, and, and I know they're going to be doing more of the same in The Hobbit later this year, I think. Um, so it just, I don't know, it got me to thinking a little bit about the, the, some of the choices that people are the you know directors or casting artists or or whatnot are making saying look what we can do with these really cool tools but are we kind of excluding 
you know, people, some actors who don't actually have that many opportunities as it is. Um, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of this from the wrong perspective too. Maybe they will be able to use this technology in reverse and, you know, embiggen little people <laughs> into full size roles at some point, which would be kind of cool. Um, I don't know, but, uh, I think that the part of my big problem with the narrative was that this, what happens in the story is basically similar to the story of Snow White. The, the, the queen, the evil queen comes in and marries Snow White's, um, father and um, becomes her stepmother, and then very quickly the father's removed out of the way. And she's like eight years old when this happens, and the queen basically has a coup, takes over the kingdom, and locks Snow White in a tower. So now we're talking about, you know, like man in the iron mask kind of thing. Um, this, was not, we, this was not what happened in, in Mirror Mirror, right? Um, she still was allowed to be around the castle and everything, but in this case, no, she's locked in a tower from the age of eight for like 10 years. No education, no training. So basically you've got an eight-year-old mind that hasn't learned anything. She's been in this tower all this time and escapes, goes out, uh, learns a quick mar one, one single move from Thor, and then is able to lead an army and sack the kingdom right and 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 save the day Spoiler. um well i mean come on i mean that's <laughs> that's kidding, that's kidding. the nature of of of, of 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 the show and it's just so unbelievable for me and and there's other parts in it you know she's supposed to be this chosen one and there are some interesting aspects i mean really the way they create this world because they have the dark forest and then they have an enchanted forest and i think those things are really really interesting um, the dwarves were, again, kind of portrayed as instead of, you know, like they used to be miners, but now they're bandits again, sort of like the dwarves in Mirror Mirror. Um, so we've seen that kind of portrayal before, and then the relationship they have. But at least Mirror Mirror, they gave Snow White sort of a training montage where the dwarves are like teaching her to fight and teaching her stuff. They don't even bother with that because it's just such a rushed thing. It's like, okay, get to this place. Okay, now uh, speech and go attack the castle. Um, so there was just a lot that it kind of jumped around in places and they didn't spend time, enough time for me to make the things I found interesting, really important, uh, to the world they were creating, which I think it was a really interesting world. They just didn't do anything with it. Um, and there's just some weirdness in there too. For example, um, who's the actor, uh, uh, Sam Spurrell, I guess was played the role of Finn, who is the queen's brother and enforcer he looks really weird and he's kind of like i don't know he's like a pedophile too and and so you've got like some of these some of these things have very creepy undertones or being a based on a, like a children's fairy tale and i know the original grim fairy tales were always creepy and gross and cruel and things too but this was kind of overly so uh in some ways but overall i mean it's still fantasy and it's got some fantasy elements if you like fantasy and if you're a person like that, like me, I'd say TV it. Uh, I'd say it's not something you really have to rush out and see in the cinema. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess that is uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. And Chris Hemsworth was basically Thor, again, <laughs> for the most part. Except instead of a hammer, he's got axes. Um, all right, let us move on and talk about our main event for this week, kind of, sort of. And that is the film Prometheus. Um, this is the latest from director Ridley Scott, and it's sort of the uh, prequel slash 
I don't know what, what else you'd call it. Uh, um, well, he won't call it a prequel, apparently. It was supposedly, supposedly a prequel, and then he changed his mind. But something. it's still a prequel, right? Okay. Yes. It's still set in the same universe. It, it is part of the same universe and mythos of the uh, Alien films, um, not the AVP films, according to some, uh, according to others. It depends on who you talk to, but... Um, so basically, this is this is uh, establishing more of the mythos of the alien universe. Um, so why don't we hear from Marco, since he's been so quiet this time. Uh, Marco, would you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Prometheus. Uh, okay, I was just a bit confused about the last three films. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know. I think I would call it more like a spin-off sequel, a prequel. Mm-hmm. So, because it it spins off quite quite far, especially in the end. But then in the end, it connects again to the to the whole um, Alien series. Um, yeah. So basically, actually, I think my take on the whole thing is a bit different than most have it, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of people went into the film thinking they would see. Um, where these aliens come from and, and how they basically uh, eat up more people. Um, but in the end, they didn't. <laughs> and maybe that's a spoiler or not. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's not that clear, actually. Mm. Um, for me, basically, the film uh, was pretty much uh, a take on what could be done with transmedia in feature films. So basically they had, they had this nine-week transmedia campaign before the film came out. Yeah. And um, the story itself, as I was reading it in the film, how it was uh, developed in the film, how it played out in the film, is pretty close to what I would call transmedia storytelling. So it opens up a lot of issues uh it doesn't um, tell you so much in return actually Mm -hmm. um and i think you cannot see it as 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 a regular film as as all these three thousand films that come out every day um because it's you have to see the entire project it's more a part of a project so even the film now is just another stage in the de- development of what he probably wants to come up with, um, and you can actually see it even even on the on the Wayland Industry webpage, there's still one section uh, not unlocked, so it continues actually even after the film. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, what, what what were your thoughts? I'm just tagging along. I didn't watch the movie. What? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't seen the film. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I. I haven't. This is. It's not like it's. Uh. I'm sorry. It's not like it's first time, people. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, if Angela Baby was in Prometheus, you'd be there day one. <laughs> uh. No, I met Mark Chow. <laughs> okay. Uh, how about no, you, I, Dave? I haven't had time to see it. Um. Yeah. It's. It's a fantastic sort of you know uh, film from a sort of technical 
standpoint because it looks it looks terrific and uh, yeah, a lot of the performances as well were uh, more than decent. It's just the uh, the story itself is is kind of familiar. You know, I mean, I've not seen many of the uh, in fact I think any of the Alien films in in quite some time, but you know the the same. You know, there's similar kind of things happen. You know, they go somewhere and they you know they get kind of infected and. And people get sort of picked off and that kind of thing. So it's um, yeah, it's just the story really was the biggest kind of issue with it. It's just you know, it kind of felt I'd uh, seen it before really. Hmm. Yeah. So I think this is a very mixed bag for a lot of people. I think there part of the problem was that because Ridley Scott had attached his name to it as both producer and director, uh, expectations were extremely high. Uh, for many people, especially science fiction fans, they saw this as you know his return to uh, a genre that he helped start out in and and redefine in the late '70s and early '80s with both Alien and, and Blade Runner, and of course he's uh, set to do uh, a Blade Runner sequel, I guess, um, as one of his next films. Um, and I, I think that was in part problematic because people went in with super high expectations. And, you know, when you're at the top, there's really no place to go but down. Um, the film itself, I think, um, does suffer from prequelitis or what some people might call George Lucas disease. <laughs> and that I think that he probably got a little bit too enraptured with some of the technology and some of the toys. Um, and as a result, the narrative tended to suffer uh, a little bit. Um, the, you know, the, I do agree with Marco that you know, there is a lot in, in terms of transmedia um, that's going on out there around the film, but some people are looking at that as simply sort of a new form of, of marketing and that it's just another type of marketing push to sort of drum up buzz um, and, uh. and get people talking about the, these kinds of of you know of of um, films, and that some some have speculated that there's a push to do that, especially if you think the film is not as good as it might actually be um, expected to be by uh, a receiving audience. I think Marco has a strong response for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so <laughs> so yeah, I think um, how should I say? Uh, I think actually the audience that went into the film like they would always do without seeing anything before or without reading anything, so with, with a total clear mind, that were the audience that get the least from it. So people who actually involved in all the, the campaign and in everything that went on during the nine weeks before were seeing uh, characters differently, I think. Uh, and also connections and uh, and the story itself, the the plot points, were probably much stronger for people who who um, tried to find out more about the story. But uh, of course, he did a bit, of, actually, not enough in terms of developing uh, enough backstory throughout the transmedia campaign. So that you really end up with a mixed mind in the end, yeah, like you like you said be, before. Mm -hmm. And um, I also think that he actually chose it wisely that he didn't 
do a full-blown alien film like everyone would expect um, but rather trying to test out uh, a new direction in mm. the whole thing because in the end you are you're, you're doing a prequel to your own masterpiece so a lot of people like it there's a whole community out there that just straight up likes all those um, alien films and but you have to see those people are let's I mean um, <laughs> no they are I don't want to say old they're probably around 40 or 50 uh, that actually grew up with with those films um, and when you want to get a young audience in, so uh, especially uh, an audience between 18 and, and, and 30, then you have to come up with something new. I mean, after, uh, after all, the last Alien film that came out, uh, Alien vs. Predator 2, uh, tanked. Because it wasn't, it wasn't up to date anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, if, with, yeah. with, along those same lines, though, one of, one of the arguments I would make is that this would have been better as a standalone film. And I don't mean standalone from the sen the transmedia sense. I mean standalone from the Alien franchise. If you would, you know, in in the very opening shot, for example, we have this view of this very gigantic dynamic saucer hovering over a, a waterfall. And but later, you know, we are, and, and this is a spoiler, but you see it in the trailer. So if you've watched the trailer, you know, you are shown the what is called the navigator ship, which is the iconic ship that is first discovered in, in Alien. If they would not have made that connection, if they would have just kept this as a totally separate franchise with all the transmedia and with all the the, the character building that, that the transmedia does, as you mentioned, um, I, think, I think fans would be reacting to this quite a bit differently. Um, it, you know, of course, you'd have to change the nature of that final scene uh, of what you see there. But I think that perhaps as something new, you don't have that you don't have that sense, you don't have that expectation of of the fandom that's built up since the 1970s, right? Um, yeah, well, and I so think here here the studio has a has a big say on because in the in the end the studio want to have uh, a really safe return for its investment, and then. In the end, they will always go for something uh, for content that is already established, that has already a lot of fan fans out there, a fan base basically, mm. um, and then you just simply can sell it more easy. So that taking taking this as the uh, initial point for the entire campaign was on the one hand helping the c campaign, sure, but now in the end it doesn't pay that off well. Yes, mm. that's that's right. So there, there is a certain ambiguity in in the in the whole concept. Mm. Interesting. Um, so the the film itself again has a has a great cast. Naomi Rapace is the sort of the main character. Elizabeth Shaw, um, Michael Fassbender, who people have been raving about as the the android David, um, Guy Pearce, Idris Elba, um, Charlize Theron, who we just got done talking about in a completely different role. And and completely different acting take from uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, she's very powerful here. I really liked the the dynamics of her character here. Um, but really, I think a lot of people agree that David kind of steals the show um, with with what he's he's doing with his character. And really, this becomes a character 
a character story about finding your creator. And I found the layers of that story very, very interesting. And I think they should have de developed that even further than they did. I mean, they kind of touched on it, but then they got back to, you know, monsters and aliens eating people and stuff. Um, but uh, I think that it, it looks amazing. Um, I, I did have problems with the characters and the narratives um, because it does sort of fall back on the, uh, as, as Dave was saying, you know, it's, it falls back to sort of that typical, well, you've got people in a place and something bad happens and everything kind of goes to pot, um, which is kind of the basic tenant that happens in all of these films. And I think that because we've seen that so many times and, and some of what we see here, these people are supposed to be scientists and they act like teenagers um, in, in many of the scenes. It, it kind of is at odds with a lot of what we're given. There are some, there are some plot discrepancies, but actually Marco uh, sent me a link um, with a very interesting analysis, and I'll try and post it in the notes, that really goes very deep into um, the, the theology that's being presented and there's a lot of information that this person has sort of dug up and 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 in some cases speculated about but some cases you know he has some justifiable sources and points to some things that i think are very very interesting and and reveal a lot more about the film that uh, the general layperson is not going to get in any way um which maybe makes the film a bit weaker if you have to rely you know it's kind of like saying well, the Lord of the Rings are actually great movies if you've read the books, but they're terrible if you've never read the books. So go out and read the books. Um, I'm not sure if movies should have to rely on that kind of a, a basis for, for understanding necessarily. But I, I will post that in the notes because I think it's a very interesting read. Um, now, one thing I, I would like to get into discussion with Marco and maybe hear Dave's, uh, Dave's comments on it as well is the Guy Pierce character. Um, he's playing Wayland, who's like the corporate um, the, the, the corporate CEO, I guess, at this point. Um, and he's sponsoring this, this, this voyage, and he has a very significant role. Now, we've seen him played by Guy Pierce in some transmedia um, applications. There's a TED Talk that, that he gives at, at one point, talking about, you know, that happens much earlier when he's a much younger man in the film. My problem is, is that why Guy Pierce as the old Waylon? Um, because to me, he just looked like a dude in not very good aged makeup. Um, why not just get, you know, I think John Hurt would have been a perfect choice because not, you know, not that he'd be playing the same character, but he has a tie to the original film and he's old and he looks the part now. Because uh, he kind of looks like a bag of bones, at least in the Harry Potter movies he does. Um, and I think he would have been a great choice. And I think you could have still had Guy Pierce playing the younger version of him, right? Um, so I'm, I was kind of, I'm kind of wrestling with the casting choice of, of Guy Pierce in the older Waylon role. I mean, Marco, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think again, it's we ha we haven't seen the whole picture yet, mm -hmm. so. Uh, we have seen Guy Pearce as a young guy on the TED Talks. And even when you look at the post credit sequence of Prometheus, it's with Guy Pearce mm -hmm. as a young guy. So, um, uh, by, the, by the way, the post post credit 
sequence is not in the credits, it's a link and then you go on, on the special web page and then you see the special video again. So it's it's an it's an interactive uh, post credit sequence. Um, and from what I've feeling right now is that he probably will uh, show up in the second part. Hmm. So it's it's one of those characters that I think that are established. When when you say the on, second part, the you're talking run. about the the website, right? Not no, it's probably not the second movie. Probably, uh, there will be probably a sequel on the on the whole thing. It's not finished. That, that's why I say this whole thing. I think this, he, I think he was pretty finished. Not finished. <laughs> this <laughs> the movie, right? Finished it. <laughs> so you think, think you think he'll come. he'll come back as as what a a ghost uh, in the machine? I mean. No idea. No yeah. idea. But, okay. Interesting. There will be some some more information coming up, and I'm pretty sure at the moment they come up with the Blu-rays, DVDs, whatever. There will be new new videos, new web pages, uh, new backstories. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, I don't have a problem with any of that. I just think that him as the old man didn't really work for me. <laughs> it just it looked like a young guy and old guy makeup um dave what, what was your thoughts was on him the, so, 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 uh, sorry sorry <laughs> the idea was more that you have someone that actually doesn't look old in a human sense uh, more like in an unnatural strange uh uh um yeah situation did that work for you did you get that sense in the in the film uh Sort of, yeah. yeah, sort of. But like I said, I was seeing him still as the the young man. That's because, mm-hmm. like, like I said, the my image of him was uh, was actually shaped by by the by the videos be, before. Mm. So I couldn't see him as that old actually. So that that's why it wasn't wasn't a big problem for me. Dave, what was your thought on Guy Pierce? Um, I'm getting some, uh, I'm getting some music here. Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, for me in, in the film, at least it would have helped to have an actual, uh, older actor in the role. It just kind of, it, it kind of took me out, out of it to, to see someone who was kind of obviously kind of made up. I didn't sort of, uh, it, it didn't help me to have the, have the character kind of appear as it did. I don't know if it was a, I, I, for me, I guess it was just a, an out-and-out effects issue. I mean, mm. they made Brad Pitt look old and believable in um, the Benjamin Button movie. Right. And I just didn't get that sense here. It just seemed like they had slapped on some, you know, prosthetic wrinkles, and, and it just looked like, like a 1990s makeup job for some reason. Um, I don't know, Marco, I, I understand your point where you were saying they were trying to make him look like he'd somehow underwent, maybe undergone some processes to make him look unnatural. And maybe I was reading on that and, and it just wasn't coming across a, as well for me. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see if they do use him further um, and, and how that plays out, um, which I, I think would make more sense in the long run, I guess. Um yeah, I'd say, again, I won't give any spoilers, but not a movie to watch with a pregnant wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys out there, if you're thinking, if your wife is due and you're thinking of dragging her to see this, please do not. Uh, I, I didn't, okay? I'm just saying. I'm glad I didn't. I, I, I made the call early on because um, I, you know, I kind of expected it would, it would be uh, gruesome in some ways based on what I had seen in the trailer, and I was right. 
um, and thankfully so. So, um, but in 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 total, I, there wasn't really a, as much gore as I had expected. Um, and uh, again, I think that it plays down some of the some of the expectations of what people had come to see in in the later Alien films, um, because it's it's trying to tell a somewhat different story, and so. Again, I think it throws some some things off. Um, Marco, I mean, what what are your what are your expectations f- going forward from this? Do you think that this is going to do well enough? I mean, they've talked about uh, three films in in this franchise. Do you, do you think we'll see those? Probably, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more it's more interesting uh, to see if. I mean, obviously, this was a like a like a pioneer experiment for for the for the studio, so that they can see if this whole transmedia thing actually works. Um, and hopefully, they will basically go on and 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 and, and finish up the trilogy. Hmm. And I mean, Dave, what what is your thoughts and what do you think? I mean, with Ridley Scott um, kind of coming back, and he's not somebody really known for doing sequels or prequels right but now this seems to be sort of his thing suddenly yeah i mean um i'm of a you know uh, a different generation so kind of it's kind of uh the you know the transmedia it's kind of uh i guess i'm a bit too old for that mm. i don't know <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm i'm not really i'm not really sort of getting that it just um, I don't sort of relate to, to films uh, in that kind of way. It just, you know, just you know, but being of a being of an older generation, it just kind of just feel feel like a, sort of a, a grander sort of type of uh, type of publicity for the for the film. I also, I mean, it's it's meant to give it sort of greater sort of uh, uh, depth, I guess, when you actually see the uh, see the film in the cinema. But. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I just I was thinking I'm of a of a different generation with that sort of uh, relate to relate, relate to the films in in in, in that kind of way. You mm. know, that sort of I don't know. Interesting. I'm reading a little bit of trivia here off of Wikipedia. It says that um actually Charlize Theron was actually intended to portray Shaw, uh, but a prior commitment to Mad Max Four prevented her involvement. When the film was delayed, she was able to rejoin uh, in the role of uh, Meredith Vickers. It also says Michelle Yeoh and Angelina Jolie were both considered for the role as well. Um, that been been interesting, seeing uh, Michelle Yeoh as uh, the Vickers character. A little bit different, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so yeah, I mean, Prometheus is... Uh, I, I, if, for my for all my disappointment in it, I still have to say it's a definitely a see it um, for for me. I, I plan to see it again. I need to see it again um, because I'm, you know, it's so visually rich. There's just a lot that I missed, and I want to go back in again with sort of this very in depth analysis that uh, Marco had forwarded along to us, and and um, you know, I've I've. I've posted in, in some comments and some other sites like io9 and, and some other places as well. Um, so some of my thoughts on it uh, in, in relation to both as a sort of a standalone franchise and in relation to the Alien franchise and even the AVP, uh, the franchise. Um, I think there are some interesting 
things to think about, interesting correlations to think about. But if you're a sci-fi fan at all, this is definitely something that people are going to be talking about, love it or hate it, and it's definitely worth seeing in a cinema on a big screen. Um, so I'd urge everybody to do that. Um, speaking of sci-fi films, though, uh, we've got Mr. Spomberg here to talk about a project he's working on uh, here in Hong Kong, in Asia, uh, that is sci-fi related. So, Marco, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own project and um, how you're working on that and some of the... I, I'm guessing you're tying in some transmedia aspects to that as well. Yeah, so, okay. Okay, so I was nuts enough to do a Hong Kong sci-fi film. That's, But it's not, it's not full sci-fi, so not with spaceships and aliens and, and stuff like that. It's more like a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, thriller mm-hmm. that plays out in, in a Hong Kong that is flooded by water already. So that only a couple of islands existing, and then on those islands you have... Um, you, you can, can actually book those islands to make a trip there and then um, have fun <laughs> in a really strange <laughs> way. <laughs> I laugh because I know what happens. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the film is called Hexagon. And uh, in the film, basically, Hexagon is the big company in the back that sells those strips and orchestrates everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a short film right now. It's a 20-minute short film. But we develop it further and see if, if we can make a feature out of it or if we can pull it somewhere else, uh, like a web series or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there will be a bit of transmedia going on, but we actually focus with our campaign for the um, uh, on the uh, film festivals. So as soon as we know that is, it is running at one of the film festivals, then we target our campaign there. So you, your film last year, Squatter Town, um, you, you worked on that, and you had some transmedia involvement with that? Um, a bit, yes. Yeah. So basically, Squatter Town was a, a web series, um, and um, trans, there was a bit of transmedia going on, so mainly on, uh, on, on internet pages, so you could... Um, uh, go onto a, a map and then find out the backstories of the characters and how this whole Squatterton universe works. Um, but we didn't have that much time and money to go like full-blown transmedia at the time. Mm. Um, so it it stays a web series um, and actually I'm presenting it in France in October. Uh, on a, a festival that is called uh, Sundance for Web Series, which is pretty funny. And <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that this kind of stuff actually existed. Um, well, you're, so, you're still sort of like one of the pioneers, right? I mean, this is a, a pretty new field that uh, people are still uh, experimenting in. in. In Asia and in Hong Kong, yes. Uh, in the U.S., it's it's actually quite established. So in in the U.S. and and yeah, and in France, um, it's it's really set medium, uh, set genre, subgenre you can work on. Hmm. And so now, 
having built out of your experience from Squatter Town, um, are the, are there any different approaches you're using this time? Are there things you're doing differently um, that f based on things you learned from what you did last year? Um, we wanted to make it more simple. We wanted to go on an island and then just lock ourselves up and just shoot two weeks there. But then we ended up... Uh, Having the same big production as always. That with, sounds like uh, most Wong Jing movies, right, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, with eight locations around Hong Kong. so And it ended up like a big jigsaw, like always. Hmm. Um, and so what, what stage are you in right now? I mean, you've, you've finished your principal photography and you've have you finished editing and post-production? Yeah, so basically everything is finished. Uh, the entire film is completed. Uh, we already submitted to some festivals, um, and there will be a Hong Kong screening uh, end of this month. Mm -hmm. And how will people will people be able to uh, see your film streamed online, or will there be a um, um, will there be? A, I, I think when you did Squatter Town last year, you guys did a live stream of the premiere. Yeah, so we we we, we will do a live stream from from the Hong Kong screening event. Yes. Um, but the film itself has to go through the film festival run first, and then I think by spring next year we can have a look how we can make it available online. But there's a bit of a problem in terms of uh, uh, violence and graphic scenes, hmm. so it probably will not be able to go on, on, on YouTube or Vimeo. Mm -hmm. And what are what are some of the have you gotten any reactions locally from uh, industry people? Have they had a chance to see any <laughs> rough cuts or? Um, oh, that's yeah. Cool. So apparently, a panel of three uh, TVB directors had the chance to see it, and they <laughs> did liked it. <laughs> they liked it. They didn't, didn't like it. So basically, they they missed. No, they said it wasn't it. It is not. It is not a German film, <laughs> <laughs> which I agreed on. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what were they expecting? <laughs> <laughs> a German film. <laughs> yeah, German film shot in Hong Kong. I have no idea. Yeah, right. that's interesting. So I, I'm guessing that if like Kevin goes to Germany, and makes a film, they'll say this is not a Hong Kong film. Right. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, except I know what was from Hong Kong film to put into my German. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. They actually never really understood that I tried to explain them that I never made a German film. Mm -hmm. I, when I was in Germany, I wasn't working in films. So. What, what do you think the disconnect was? Was it the the science fiction aspect of the film, or, or was it the the approach uh, you were taking from a technical standpoint? Yeah, sure. It was. It was the science fiction. It was the the fact that there is no dialogue, no monologue, no, no spoken anything in it, so, mm. uh, which is extremely disturbing for Chinese people, as I heard. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no one telling you what to what to think. It's mm. a bit hard to follow them. Interesting. Um, I, will, I will say I've seen the rough cut of the film, and I would say it's easier to follow than Squatter Town. That that is, I will agree. Without dialogue, it does work without dialogue. 
That's yeah, yeah, Square to Pump was my Prometheus story structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, Hexagon is really more compressed, more, more, more focused. Um, so I think I learned a lot from 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 Square to not making it too open. Uh, make it more straight to the point, actually. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, you know, it just makes me think that if uh, we ever screened anything from David Lynch for these guys, their brains would probably blow up. I don't know. No, it would um, be art because it's it's from Hollywood. It's from America, and it's and it's a it's a it's a established filmmaker. So to them, it would be art. But from a student filmmaker, it's confusing and and un, and incoherent. Hmm. So it's 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 all about it's just where you're coming from and and, and your own biases. And if you can't. Even if you can use like it doesn't look like a German film to criticize the film. Well, part I mean, of part of the problem I think, and we we've, we've talked about this before on on previous shows, is I don't think I don't think there are many Hong Kong or mainland China directors producers who understand science fiction and and understand the way that science fiction is supposed to operate. I mean, we can look at the few examples we've gotten, and what we see are we see the surface level science fiction, things like Kung Fu Cyborg, right? Uh, yeah, let's make Alex Fong into a, a, a cyborg who does martial arts, but basically what is he? He's a superhero martial artist. He's not really... It's not. There's, there's no real sci-fi there, right? Um, or, you know, the, the video game ripoffs, things like The Avenging Fist, where we say, oh, it's in the future, and there's flying cars in Hong Kong, but nobody actually gets in them, and Gigi Lung is a hologram. But there's no real science fiction happening other than what they do with the special effects. Robot tricks. Yeah. And, and it, it, I, I, I seriously think, I, I kept expecting that with the space race that China's sort of undergoing, that there would be a, there would be an interest in science and there would be, you know, sort of a, a golden age that would emerge for science fiction narrative in China. And that hasn't happened. And, you know, I'm just basing this on the history of science fiction and the way it developed in the U.S., and obviously that's not going to develop the same way here, um, which I think is unfortunate, you know, because I would love to see variants of, of real Chinese science fiction coming out, and instead we get, you know, virtual recall, <laughs> <laughs> among other things. Because it's essentially the, 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 the basis of education, the education in Asia is generally based on memorizing. Yeah. Right? And it's very little critical thinking. Spec speculation is very hard for, for students to do. One of the things that when I do student interviews and I ask them to speculate about, all right, two years later, where, where do you see your life going? What do you think you'll be doing? Ten years later, where do you see yourself? What would you like to be doing? They have a very difficult time answering those questions because they're just kind of stuck in the here and now what what do i need to memorize what do i need to say to pass the interview uh, you know um so i think you're right about that i think in part part of it's probably the educational thought process that gets instilled in people's brains which is which is unfortunate um but yeah uh, hong kong dave you bought virtual recall right is that what you told me yesterday are you there? Oh, we lost Where Hong Kong, David? Dave. Well, that's not Dave. good. Dave! Dave! 
I think he was involved with his Open the Skype Bay doors, Dave. 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 Come back, Dave. All right. Uh... So yeah, the, where can people find out more about uh, Hexagon? Uh, yeah, so there's a project page up. It's called 00c6.org. And you basically find everything there. All right. We'll be sure um, to include that in and, the show notes as well. And we... Actually, the, there's a trailer. Two days ago, there was a trailer pop, popping up with a Prometheus cut of... Hexagon. Mm. And is there? Do you have you guys established like a Facebook uh, site for the for the film itself, or is it um, through uh, your? We have site? yeah. Actually, we have we have the company page. Uh, it's it's facebook.com slash hexagon. Okay. And hexagon is always with an a e, h a e, gone. All right. Um, so we'll include. We'll try and include. There was an X in between somewhere. Yeah, all of those uh, links in our show notes for this week, um, and hopefully you guys will stop by and uh, take a look at what uh, they have to offer. And uh, we will keep you appraised too of when and where the um, you know the ceremonies and the streaming and all that good stuff will happen as well. I think that's going to do it, folks. Uh, before I jump into anything else, let me play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, so if you'd like to be part of the show, of course, head over to our website at www.concast.com. Or stop by on iTunes and leave us a quick, uh, some feedback there, a quick review. We'll be always happy to hear from you there. Uh, Twitter.com slash Concast, if you'd like to follow along at Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Twitter.com slash Foxlore. And Twitter.com slash The Golden Rock, if you'd like to follow Mr. Ma. He has a lot of interesting uh, things to say and a lot of interesting film news. Uh, and sometimes he rages about Sinuevo. Uh, and China. Um, so please follow him. If you'd like to get in touch with us directly, that is at gmail, eastscreen at gmail.com. You can send us an email, send us some comments, even send us a short audio review or question. We'll play it here on the air. You can always catch us on Stitcher if you're iTunes averse. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your Blackberry, and your WebOS phone. Uh, Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. We thank them for their support. Of course, big thanks to Marco for stopping by. Um, Marco, where can people follow you? Are you on Twitter? Um, you on uh, Google Plus or any of the other places that you'd like to give a shout out to so people can get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so I'm busy on all the places except Weibo. <laughs> <laughs> you are also Weibo averse. So, yeah, so just all everything with my name, Marco Spomberg. Marco Spomberg. All right, yeah. and we'll include those links in the show notes. Uh, again, let me say a big thanks to Marco for stopping by and, and talking with us and sharing his thoughts on transmedia and uh, the, the, the really great points about Prometheus. Again, I know we disagree on a few points, but I certainly think his points are very, very valid and very, very helpful in getting some more out of the film than I think a lot of people are going to get. Uh, also, big thanks to Hong Kong Dave for stopping by and thanks to the podcast on fire for loaning him to us. 
um, for this episode, and we hope he enjoys the rest of his time here in Hong Kong before he departs back to the UK. I wish he could be here so that we could thank him properly, but we'll have to do that at another time when Skype is more helpful. Um, he didn't survive, what can we say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, may, may, I don't know, maybe the police came and like broke down the door and said, you podcasting, that's illegal, and ripped him out of the room. I don't know. Hopefully not. Um, big thanks to Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for getting us out and having movie nights with us. Of course, the K-Man for sticking with me through 112 plus shows, and you, the listeners, for sticking with us each and every week that we are here. We do this because we love you guys. Next episode, do we have any films this week? Something from J.C. Chan or something? Actually, we have many films. We have uh, Double Trouble starring J.C. Chan. Mm. Uh, we also have uh, possibly, I'm not going to do it, but Sadako 3D if, if the people, some people do it. Mm, and yeah. um, I think this weekend we're going to try and catch a, a screening of Soy Chan's Motorway. Oh, all right. So we've got some stuff to talk about for next week. The, the, the Sadako 3D, is that just the old film done in 3d or is that a remake no no it's a it's a new installment of the series oh, okay. of the series yeah. so it, it's yeah it was a hit in japan and uh and then a very creative uh tiny cheek promotional campaign so that's always at least we can talk about that if not yeah for some, you, so. you tweeted the picture of the girl selling popcorn yes yes yes. yes uh that makes me hungry uh all right all that and much more Sick. <laughs> on our next show yeah you want hair in your popcorn right um, until then this is East Screen West Screen wishing you good viewing and we'll see you next week see you next week everybody uh.